0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Merry Christmas. I know that technically everyone celebrated Christmas uh, eight days ago, but as you've probably heard here on numerous occasions, the season of Christmas is 12 days. So we've still got four more days of Christmas left, which means you can say Merry Christmas and it's still correct. I also know at the same time that much of our world and probably many of us, uh, the kind of celebration and season of Christmas seemed to end either when we went back to work or at the strike of midnight last night when the new year began. And it recently struck me then that we kind of move on from Christmas really, really quickly. It actually reminded of something uh, that uh, a quote that I heard from a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, He said this, Our society knows how to anticipate an event, but not how to sustain it. See, we spend a month, and really in most cases, you know, if you watch Hallmark movies starting in October, even longer than that, preparing and anticipating, full of waiting for one and maybe one and a half days worth of celebration. And then just like that, we move on. Uh, the lights perhaps begin to go away. The decorations start to come down. Uh, every kind of advertisement shifts to New Year's Eve. And in some cases, in some stores, they've already started putting out the Valentine's Day candy. Right? And while I'm not necessarily advocating for a big 12 days long celebration, I mean, that would be pretty awesome, right? I guess, you know, if you're spending too much time with family, things get a little strange. But nonetheless... I realize that uh, it can be an exciting thing just to to think about. And so I think it's important for all of us to to sit in the awe and the wonder, the hope, the expectation of Christmas, if not for at least one more day. So this morning, that's exactly what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to experience the, the wonder, the joy, and the hope of Christmas again. And I think it's fair that given all that's gone on in our own church family, we could all use a little more Christmas this year. And what I mean by that is uh, celebrating the promise that is fulfilled on Christmas. That God has come to be with us. That Jesus is with us, moving in our hearts and in our minds, delivering his hope, his peace, and his joy for the world. That once again Jesus draws us in to deliver his promises. And it's fitting, then, that in our text from the book of Numbers this morning, we heard some of the most familiar words to us that come out of Scripture, a familiar uh, set of promises and at the same time, a very specific blessing. In fact, uh, these are words of blessing that Pastor Mark or I speak almost every single week here over you. And maybe you knew that they came out of Scripture, but maybe you didn't. See, if there's one thing I know as a pastor, it's that uh, the book of Numbers doesn't really make people's, you know, top ten list of books that they've read in the Bible. At least partially, I know this because of where it's located in Scripture, right after the book of Leviticus. And here are two things I know about Leviticus. Number one, it's the book of laws of the people of Israel. And number two, it's where most people Bible reading plans go to die. See, because uh, when you start reading the Bible from the beginning, you know, Genesis is exciting. It's full of creation and the story and all the excitement that comes with Abraham and the, the beginning of God's promises. And then you get to Exodus and you have Moses and the people of Israel and that wonderful story that carries on and on. And then you get, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Then you get to the laws where God begins to tell the people how they should live and that they're obedient to God. And i got to be honest with you, I know that usually when people get there, that's when the reading plan starts to fail. It's kind of like the New Year's resolutions. They all go down at the same time. And uh, the interesting thing is, then, that if you don't get through Leviticus, you're not going to make it to Numbers. And Numbers kind of picks up on what Leviticus is telling us about the laws and the people, but it gets more into their story about uh, the journey that they went on as they were traveling to the Promised Land. And in the midst of all of that, then, we find moments like this passages in which God is delivering incredible promises to the people along their journey. Promises, uh, blessings that have present impact and future implications. See, for the people of Israel, these promises are ones that would certainly sustain them in the days ahead. And these days were filled with uncertainty. These promises came at a time when uh, the people had a long, difficult exhausting journey ahead of them and they didn't even know of so many of the things that they were going to face. They needed something to remind them that better days were still coming and perhaps even more importantly they needed to know that even on the hardest of days the blessings of God were always with them. And so it's here that we hear how God blesses his people And one of the things I love about this blessing is that the way in which God delivers it is so purposeful that that the order of the words, the way in which God speaks is, is extremely important for us to hear. And as we read it, as we hear it, we see that God is deliberate with every way that he speaks his blessing over the people. See, there's two distinct things that go on in just these three short verses, Uh, The first thing that we see, the first part of the blessing, highlights how God is moving towards his people, how he's coming to us, and the second part highlights God's activity then, now that he is with his people. Uh, Just hear those words again. The Lord bless you and keep you. So when you start there, uh, when we hear these words, it gets a little bit lost in translation what's actually happening. Uh, this specific blessing here, that the Lord, that name that is used, is familiar to us, but back then, and in the Hebrew, it would have been a different name. See, uh, it actually would have been, and as it's written, Yahweh, which for the people of Israel was a name that they would not have spoken, because that name was too holy for God. That was to identify God as the holiest of holy. So back then they would have translated it as Adonai, or Lord, because that was kind of the respectful way to address God. But God's intentional here about saying, using that word Yahweh. Because what God does here is he puts his name on the people. This is God's blessing to the people. And as I thought about this phrasing more, it struck me that this is kind of like uh, God's way of branding his blessing. Right now, In our world today, it's fair to say that uh, brands are kind of a common thing and we all know about them. We all have experiences and feelings towards many of them. And depending on the brand that you wear or that you drive or that you use, uh, it can send certain unintended messages to people. For example, uh, when I was in sixth grade, I realized that all I wanted to do was wear Nike soccer cleats. That that's what I saw the best soccer players wear. And I convinced myself that when I saw other kids wearing those, that they must be pretty good. And so I figured, well, if I wear Nike cleats, other people will think the same thing about me. Whether that was true or not is completely irrelevant. I believed that message. I believed in what the brand had told me. And my guess is you've all kind of had that similar experience in one way or another, whether it's a clothing company or a car or insurance or restaurants. Uh, when it comes to a brand, you all kind of know their messaging. And to certain brands, you choose them over others for all different kinds of reasons or feelings, maybe even because you work for them. And at the same time, interestingly enough, the creator of those brands, they also have an intended audience. They have people that they specifically want to reach. Right? For Nike, it's people who uh, will never give up, who are always going to just do it. Right? Uh, for Adidas, it's, it's people who believe that impossible is nothing. Uh, for McDonald's, it's really people who love their food. You know, I'm loving it. Right? For Burger King, it's people who want to have it your way, which I think we all kind of do in one way or another. Right, and the list goes on and on, that all these brands come with a specific kind of message, and they're trying to reach a certain kind of person. And along the way, then, what we begin to see is also that within each of these brands and this idea in our world, there's kinds of this, uh, this transaction of goods, that when you purchase something with a brand, you get to have it or consume it, and at the same time, the brand then gets your money and your recognition. But thankfully, that's not how it is when we talk about God. That When I say that that God is, is putting his brand here That this is one of the incredible blessings of God to us That the blessings of God are so much better than what the world has to offer It's because when God puts his name on his blessing for his people He has no expectation of getting anything back The blessings that come from God to us are all about what God is giving to us You see, church, uh, the blessings of God are not transactional, they are provisional. God puts his name on his blessing that he speaks over me and you and it is a gift to us. It is God coming to us. And so as he promises to bless us, he then promises to keep us. He performs activities among us. This idea of keeping us is most clearly seen in his protection over us. God promises to protect us, to to protect us from harm and eternal damnation. And the truth is, we don't always see the protection of God because sin distorts our reality. See, the simple existence of sin causes us to experience pain and hardship and suffering and loss. But the promise of God is that he's still protecting us in the midst of those things. And scripture highlights this reality for us in so many ways, but one verse that always stands out to me is in Romans 5 when St. Paul writes, God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though sin has led to us experiencing the brokenness of the world in painful ways, the promise is that God protects us and covers us more than we could ever even imagine. His name is upon us. He's watching over us. And as he watches over us, then he begins to move even closer in the words that he speaks in the next part of his blessing. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, or perhaps you were to Google the face of God, there are lots of different passages and references that might come up. Uh, But one of the ones that stands out to me is in the book of Exodus, when uh, God is talking to Moses and he tells Moses that if someone sees the face of God, they will die immediately. And you kind of see that all throughout Scripture, that no one should be able to see the face of God. And yet here, God says that his face will shine upon us. See, God takes uh, what was once a form of eternal judgment and transforms it into an experience through which God himself reveals all that he is doing for us. As I'm sure many of you can imagine, uh, this past week was pretty challenging given the sudden passing of our brother in Christ, Greg. And I imagine it was difficult for you all to receive that news as well. And some of us uh, here on staff gathered on Tuesday, our first day back in the office since Christmas Eve. And we shared stories and laughs and tears and hugs along with getting a little bit of work done. And at the end of that, uh, I left here to go and write this message. And when I left the church office doors, it hit me. That as as I exited the sanctuary and I left the doors here, the sun shined down upon me. It was so bright. It was right in my face. It was shining on me and on the church. And perhaps for the first time, even though it's happened so many other times before, for the first time I felt and heard these words in a different way. That the face of God was shining down upon me. That God had come to meet me in my pain and in my grief to remind me that, that God shines on me with the light of Jesus and brings his grace into my life. And that is the same promise that God brings to you, that God promises to shine his face upon each and every one of you, that he promises to bring his blessing, that he promises to send his grace to you. And the promises of grace is that it meets you in the madness of life. That grace meets you in the place that you least expect it. And the best part about grace is that God just continues to give it to us even though we can never earn it. Even though we don't deserve it, God pours out his grace over and over and over again. He shines his face upon us to deliver that grace in the midst of our pain and in our sadness and in the midst of our joy and our jubilation. Because grace changes everything about our lives. And with that promise of grace covering us, God comes closer once more. He he transforms our lives again as he invites us to hear these final words of this blessing. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. You know, uh, the countenance of God is perhaps better understood as we say from time to time, the favor of God. And so when God sees you, when he looks upon you, he has favor with you, he sees you with his favor. And I found a commentary, explained this in a really interesting way, because we don't use that phrase in the countenance of God in our everyday lives, but a commentary explained it this way, that the people of Israel would have heard those words from God like this. In Hebrew, to lift countenance upon someone is the expression for viewing someone favorably as a smile turns the corners of the mouth upwards. I love that explanation because it gives such a simple explanation to a profound blessing from God. To think that when God looks at you, when God sees you, when he sees your life, he sees the good and the bad of your life, he sees you and smiles upon you. The curves of your mouth. You can feel that moment that as God smiles on you, he sees everything you have going on and he has favor on you. And the best part about this is that it's got nothing to do with what you're doing, but everything to do with what Jesus has done and continues to do. See, this is God's blessing to you. He puts his name on you. He promises to protect you. He shines his face upon you. He delivers his grace to you. He looks with favor upon you. And he does all of this because he loves you. There's nothing in this world that will stop or keep God from loving you. And nothing can stop him from showing how he loves you. As God closes out this blessing then, he sends us a sign of what it looks like to experience that love each and every day. As God gives us a gift that nothing in this world can give in his peace. To the peace of God is is more than just being comfortable or at ease with life. Uh, The peace of God is something that is complete and whole in a way that we won't even fully experience on this side of eternity. And yet it's a promise that God makes to us. It's a promise that, as Paul says, uh, the peace of God surpasses our understanding and keeps our hearts and minds in Jesus. The peace of God is one of the greatest gifts that we will ever receive in our lives. Listen to how Jesus describes it in the Gospel of John. Jesus speaks and he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The peace that God promises to me and to you, the peace that brings complete and wholeness to our lives is delivered in Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. And this peace comes to meet us in the brokenness of the world and in our lives to remind us that Jesus has overcome the world. And as we receive this gift of peace, we experience the peace of God in many and various ways in our lives, but we're reminded that one day we will no longer just receive that peace, but we will live in that peace forever with God. You know, when I began this morning, I said that I wanted to uh, continue celebrating Christmas. And it struck me that in the midst of this blessing from the book of Numbers, it's one of the clearest illustrations of everything that we celebrate on Christmas. Each line begins with God moving toward us and ends with what God is doing in our lives. And what is Christmas if not the celebration that God has come to be with us? that Emmanuel, God, is with us in Jesus. And as we see that God is with us, we begin to watch and experience his work and his action, his activity in our lives and in the world around us. God has come to bless and to keep us. God has come to to shine his face upon us and to be gracious to us. God has come to look with favor upon us and to give us his peace. As we begin this new year, uh, full of new opportunities, new experiences, new pains, new sorrows, new joys, we hang on to the same blessings that God has spoken over his people for thousands and thousands of years. So with that, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And may you continue to experience the protection, the grace, and the peace of God as it is given to you and come down to you in Jesus, now and one day forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.